Welcome to Insights, practical startup advice from founders, leaders, and VCs in an easy-to-consume format. This podcast is created by Angular Ventures, a full-stack pre-A VC firm that backs early-stage enterprise and deep tech companies from Europe or Israel that are targeting global category leadership with an emphasis on the U.S. market from day one. These podcasts are taped virtually with a live audience. To join an upcoming session or learn more about the firm and how we operate, find us at angularventures.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We're thrilled to have you all. I'm going to let Anne introduce Beck in a second. Before I hand over to Anne uh, to introduce Beck, let me just really briefly introduce Anne. Anne is head of platform at Angular, so she's based in New York, and she does a lot of amazing stuff for for, uh, the fund and for our portfolio companies. She manages this event series. She manages our network of advisors. She manages our network of customer relationships. She manages a whole bunch of value-added services that we provide through a network of partners. So she's an amazing person, and I encourage you to get to know her if you haven't gotten to her already. And with that, let me hand over to Anne. Uh, we'll introduce Beck. Thank you so much, Gil. Really appreciate the nice intro. Uh, so we're very lucky today to have Beck Bamberger, uh, who runs BAM, hosting a session on pitching media right now, something that's mm-hmm. very pertinent to a lot of founders because it's a different time than anyone else's experience. So PR has changed a bit, and Beck is going to talk a bit about that. So as far as for her background, she originally started in television, and she produced and hosted a number of TV shows. She worked at NBC and at Fox. She even won an Emmy. No big deal. Mm-hmm. And so we're super lucky to have her. I met her a couple of years ago and was immediately blown away by the work she's done with BAM. And BAM is an agency that works exclusively with startups and VC funds. And the work they do is absolutely fantastic. So with that, I will hand it over to Beck. A little agenda so we know exactly what we're covering today. I want to give you very briefly a bit more on BAM so you know who the heck is presenting this. Why should we even be presenting this? talking about then is the media receptive right now. Let's take a look at that. How can you easily assess a tactful story that you might want to pursue to the media? We'll talk about a little acronym that I like to use. How do you pitch media yourself? Let's say you want to pursue some media coverage for your company. And then what about launching or announcing fundraising right now? We'll cover these kind of these topics today. So really quickly, just who's BAM? We're about a team of 30 folks, full service, marketing and communications. We're based in San Diego and also in New York City. We're really interested and work tremendously with media across the board, 100% of our clients. So how do we connect with media? What do we do with them all the time? All of our clients work on this. And then we're really focused into data and how to measure what we do for everyone we do. So we've been around for about 12 years. We're one of Adweek's uh, fastest growing agencies. We've got multiple locations. And collectively, we've got about 200 plus years of experience, whether it's in the media relations or it's in the marketing experience. A lot of unicorns, a lot of startups, a lot of good stuff. So long story short, we really know the intersection between working with startups and then how to get them media coverage day to day and amid this pandemic and all this good stuff. So first, I want to talk about just how receptive is media right now? The first thing I want to cover is how receptive is the media right now to hearing your stories, understanding more of your industry? Are they all focused in one way? The good news is, and what I can very much tell you is that yes, there's coverage consistently now more than ever that is not all COVID focused, not all BLM focused and there's a constant flow of media that's emerging. Now, that said, there are sometimes 
weeks or days where it will be all focused on one thing. So the timing of your exact day, let's say, of a story or announcement coming up has to be flexible. So for example, if you're like, oh, I'm going to have this big partner announcement on this Tuesday, and then something really consumes the media, that can then push you down in terms of the priority. So that's something to weigh and consider of just the evolving newscape that we're in that can otherwise change the direction that you might want to go. Media is receptive. Well, I want to be careful of promoting or talking about my company or the story we want to present in a tactful way, in a proper way, if or even if not, it's virus related and what that looks like. So we came up with a very simple acronym that you can apply that I think will be helpful as you think about and navigate, oh, should we announce it or should we try to pitch this or what, what, what should we do if it's virus related, that type of thing? What should we all do with that? So that said, here's this acronym that you guys can use. ADC. Is it authentic? Is it distinct? And is it credible? I'm going to share some examples of this in just a second. So this is just a nice checklist that you can take back to your company. So authentic. Is it really authentic to our brand in terms of what we are doing? Is whatever this news is, is it distinct for our company? And then also credible. It's like, hey, are we the credible ones to be talking about this? Now, this is a specific acronym. I just want to emphasize if you want to tie it in somehow to what's going on with COVID or even what's going on with the anti-racist movement in America or anything that's being consumed in a heavy level by the media and being covered by it. It's just, if you're going to touch in this space of this concentrated area of coverage like coronavirus or like BLM, Black Lives Matter, you want to dance very gently and tactfully in this space. So this is an acronym that can help you. For example, looking at A, authentic. This was a big pizza brand actually based in New York City that back when this whole virus was barely breaking out, they had a really fun, creative, helpful thing, giving free pizzas to hospital workers uh, as this virus was breaking out. Now, this was earlier in like April that they were doing, but this is what their brand is. They've always been about equal pay for their employees, about giving them certain days off. They're super charitable. This isn't like randomly they decided they would start helping workers that are at the front lines. Like this is on point with their brand. So it wasn't a deviation from them whatsoever in terms of who they are as a company. This is one example of authentic. Distinct. Okay, we all remember when Zoom was having its moment, still having its moment. But when they started really breaking out, there was a lot of coverage that was helping. That's a pretty distinct story. That obviously ties into the environment because of their absolute pinpointed use in this moment of time. You could definitely say that they're distinct in the situation or in the pandemic. So you want to look and see, okay, are we, is our company really having a moment? Is there some data that we could point to? Is there something that we can really show proof of that says, yeah, we're the ones who should be highlighted, let's say, in, in a media story. So that's for distinct. Oh, here's another one. Tushy. It's a DTC company based in New York City. It's a bidet. A lot of people in Europe and Asia know what bidets are, but in America, this is a newer thing. So bidets have suddenly been having a huge increase in popularity and a huge moment as people were freaking out about toilet paper not being in existence. This is a company that could definitely talk about 
the rise of this. They're seeing the direct sales. It's distinct to their company. They're not some big retailer saying like, yeah, we want to talk about bidets. I mean, it was like, this is what we sell. This is what we do. So that's an example of it being purposely distinct. Another thing with C, credible. Do you have the authority? Do you have the experience to really say, yeah, this is, we can talk on this. We know how to talk on this. We've been around for a while. We've serviced thousands of customers or we have all this data of this. In other words, you didn't just start yesterday with two years of experience now saying, oh, we want to be an example of blah, blah, blah. That's hard to push and that's hard for media to appreciate or even give you the time of day. If you're like, yeah, we just started like a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, our founder doesn't have a lot of experience in the space, but you know, we're trying to solve something. Not really credible yet. Probably not a good time to present your story and push your story. So that's the ACD acronym if you want to do something that is related to trying to tie it into COVID, trying to tie it into any other big, this is an acronym you could take anywhere with these type of touchy, high frequency coverage that's happening. A good acronym to run through. Now, what about if you're going to launch an announcement or have something about fundraising that you want to pursue? We have a lot of clients in this space and we say, yeah, do it. What we are noticing is that there's definite fatigue. And even when we first put this out, maybe like a month ago, that's even less the case. There's a bit more of a normalcy that is happening, even though that sounds so weird because it's not normal in any way, shape or form. But we're still seeing great traction coming from significant announcements, fundraising announcements and so forth. Now, that does not mean that suddenly the New York Times wants to cover your $5 million funding announcements. No, 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 no. So if it hasn't, if certain outlets that you wish to be in have never or will not suddenly have not done any of that coverage before, it's not that they suddenly are. That's not the case. But for ones that traditionally do, your tech crunches or venture beats, even Bloomberg, CNBC sometimes does funding announcements. There's a handful others. Yes, those are happening. Those are possible for you to pursue is what I would say for that. And also announcements of maybe some big partnerships or just you launching a type of company. So if you're now in a spot where you're like, hey, I want to pursue my own media relationships. What does this maybe look like? What can I do? I have a rubric for you to consider to pursue your own media relationships. So the big point that I want to point out with that is relationships that it's not you sending an email with the point of trying to get something done right away. Okay, so now you want to pursue some of your own media relationships. What can that look like from, from any way, shape, or form? Now, I'm talking about also in a DIY, do-it-yourself type of way. So not hiring a big fancy agency, not trying to find a freelancer. This is like the scrappy stuff of, hey, I want to try to do this myself. Also, you can consider this even if you have, let's say, an agency. Of course, you need to give them the heads up. But this is something that you can be doing, especially as a founder, in conjunction with an agency or any other partner that you're looking at. So I just want to emphasize that. That isn't just like, oh, only if I don't have an agency. It's like, no, you can build your own media relationship. So what does that look like? This is the approach that I want to give you guys. It's called DIGS. And again, it's with an acronym. The first thing to do 
research, 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 a select amount, selects, not hundreds as you see, but only let's say 10, 20 outlets that you really like to be in. Then you got to go a step further. You need to see the type of reporters that are in those outlets that are the best ones for you. There might only be one, by the way. There might only be one. But sometimes at bigger outlets, your Wall Street Journals of the World and Bloomberg's, let's say, there might be a couple. Maybe, for example, there's someone at even like TechCrunch who does a lot of uh, female founder focus or BIPOC focused pieces for founders. But there's another one that is in the, the fintech arena. There definitely is too, by the way. And you happen to be in fintech. So there's a couple different ways your startup can fit in things. So get your 1020 media outlets, then think of and research in those outlets. And this is all online. You could just be clicking through which reporters seem to be popping up that you think are going to be good contacts. Then you can easily find all these reporters on Twitter and usually in their bylines, in their actual articles. You can click to their Twitter link. You can click to their author page. They usually have their email on their Twitter page if not on their bio page directly. So this isn't some mystery of like, oh, I don't know how to get to the, the reporter. Like you can find their emails pretty easily. Email, by the way, is the number one way in which pitches are preferred to be received by journalists. And I know this intimately because unrelated to BAM, we have another company called One Pitch that only delivers pitches to inboxes of select journalists. There was a study that came out about a year ago and it's like 92% of journalists wish and want their pitches to be in their inbox. So for anyone you hear of like, oh, should I hit them up on Instagram? Should I try to send them a pigeon or whatever? No, go with the inbox. That's where they know where pitches should be. If you want to hear more, there's a podcast I even talk with journalists about called Coffee with the Journalists. And they talk about this all the time. We talk about their inbox. Inbox is where the action is. So you want to get those emails. So then your intro needs to be short and sweet. I like to try four to eight sentences. You can include links. I suggest no attachments. Now, everyone has a preference, by the way. Every single journalist will have a preference of all sorts. But a lot of times, less is more in terms of trying to get a response because as you see with G, the next thing is, is get a response. It's just like trying to pitch for investment dollars. You don't go in with your first email or your first intro with like the check in hand with that million dollar check. No. But what you want to get is to your next yes. So what you're trying to do here is getting to your next yes. You want to get a response that isn't just instead no response because that is ultimately or typically what will happen for folks who just who are trying to pitch media for the first time. They're just going to get no response. I'll tell you, a lot of folks, a lot of journalists just like go in their inbox and delete, delete, delete. However, Many, many will file. I know for a fact, talking to all these journalists, some of them will open all every single email and then they file includingly. So just remember that just because you don't know the person doesn't mean like, oh, I'm just going to be in the deleted file the whole entire time. No, the best thing to focus on here is often the subject line, the subject line. So critical. So you can consider doing something and you can play around with this a little A-B testing for folks with your short list. I suggest something like founder from fintech startup, founder from startup that just raised X capital, something that indicates to them, I'm someone of authority. Hey, I'm the founder, I'm the CEO, and I have something of value for you to consider. 
So, and you're getting a response, remember, even like a blank thanks or even not interested right now, that's still a response. That's still some action the journalist took. So that's fine. This is for cold outreach. The biggest thing that you can do in this short email intro is to show that you are a resource, you're an ally, you are someone that can be helpful to them. Don't ask for this big feature on your company. So the reason, here's an insight, the reason PR people are often not beloved by the press is because they come in and try to send you, and I get these pitches because I write for a bunch of different outlets. They will send you seven paragraphs. Oh, I want to talk with you about my founder person and they would love to talk to you. I'm like, I don't want to talk to them. And it's just on and on. And it's just, it's, it's too much. It's too much. And there's nothing typically in these pitches that has anything to do about, hey, what could I help you with? Do you need some contacts? Do you need something? Do I have anything of value to offer you? This is so often not mentioned. And you will definitely stand out if you can show this media person, hey, I'm founder at so-and-so company. We do this. Not asking you to cover me at all. This is not a pitch. Wanted to tell you that I enjoy your work. I just read article X, Y, and Z. If you ever need some contacts or some resources in ABC, insert whatever wonderful resources you have, please let me know. That is a simple, easy, responsible email that you can definitely try. So that's how you show, that's the last part of this DIGS acronym, that you are a resource and you're an ally. So you're coming in cold, definitely, but you very briefly say, hey, here's who I am, okay? And maybe here's what we do very briefly. Here's what I can offer. I've looked at some of your stuff. I know what you're up to from what I can tell on the internet, let's say. But if you really want like further, like almost like a plug and play, is that brief intro, what you provide, what you can do, how you know them. You looked at an article, you read something. How can I be of help? that's usually going to warrant you a response of some sort. But with this, I'd like to open it for questions. So we have a number of audience questions coming in. Um, we will get to you in just a second. Before we do, though, I have a couple of questions. First sure. of all, thank you so much. This is a great presentation. I really like how practical it is. And it's not just theoretical. It's really how you yeah, apply this like, in your everyday life. Yes. So you talked a lot about what founders and CEOs should be doing to get um, press coverage. What are some common mistakes that you see founders doing? Yes. Probably the number one thing is the hard pitch. S emailing someone you do not know with no relationship saying, don't you want to do a story on my company? It's so cool. Mm. That's hard in terms of getting actually any story, any response to that. This is one of the number one reasons why agencies are hired, good ones, fingers crossed, because the relationships we already have are established so we can easily send one sentence, one sentence email and get a response. Example, someone I know at the Wall Street Journal, I was chatting with her. What is she looking for? Oh, okay. I was chatting to with my other founder, kind of contact, not our client, just like someone there in the death space. Death is having a booming moment right now, as you might imagine, sadly as it is. She was telling me, yeah, we're seeing all this increase in stuff. Oh my gosh. And hey, I know a bunch of other founders also in the death space that I could like tee up. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I mentioned this in one email to my Wall Street Journal person. I was like, hey, are you doing anything on death? I have like four founders who are all there, like seeing this big bull. That was the email. 
that was the email. Like, hey, do you want? And then she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me connect with them. Sent them an email. The piece came out two, three, four days ago. Full piece with one of the, the founders I originally spoke to notably highlighted in there. So that's the value of the relationship. And also, hey, I'm just trying to be the connector, trying to do that. So when you're just coming to the table to say like, we're so great, please cover me. Oh my gosh. Especially if you don't have something really great. It's like, mm, that's going to be hard. A better story angle. So, and this is like, now this is the advanced level here. A better story angle is to take one example I just gave, see if you can apply it and use it in your industry. So oftentimes, if you're a founder in your space, you know other founders in your space, not competitors. Maybe there's a story that you're seeing within your industry. And now maybe you can plate up. I like to call it like plating up a story. So on the plate, there's not just you with one little side appetizer thing, but there's a whole story on the plate. And now you can come to a journalist perhaps and say, hey, I'm part of founder so-and-so here, but, and I'm noticing also with these three other four other companies in this space that X is happening in a way we've never seen before, let's say. If that's the case, by the way, if that's the case, is that something you'd be interested in? That's going to get a lot more response than write a story on me. We're so great. Hopefully that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned working with the PR agency just because they have the established relationships. So for a lot of startups, they're early stage and they may not have worked with PR agencies before. So could you talk a little bit about the cost of what PR is and what is reasonable, what is not reasonable, what you should expect to to get in return for, for the investment made? Oh, yes. One, proof of placements. So all day long, any PR person, any agency could say, oh, we could do this. We could do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it can be a lot of hot air, unfortunately. PR people are really good at pitching, of course. So the biggest thing I suggest folks to do is ask to see the actual placements in the outlets you wish to pursue. For instance, if you want to be in the Wall Street Journal, if you want to be in Bloomberg, where there's some trade publications that are really important for you to be featured in, have the agency, have the whoever you're talking to show you examples of exactly that. That's an indication that they have done it before and possibly could do that then for you, if that makes sense. In other words, you're not just going to buy into their, oh yeah, we get stuff in the New York Times all the time. It's like, mm. you want to know that that's actually the, the case. Okay, skin in the game. So you want to know what is the obligation of the agency alongside you? What happens basically if they don't perform and they fall flat? You want to understand exactly you know, what happens instead of, oh, we just take our retainer for 12 months straight. It's like, if that's the case, run for the hills because then they don't have any teeth in making sure this is a good partnership, if that makes sense. The next thing here is jive, which is just like, hey, do you mesh well? Do you get along with this team that you're going to be working with? Because it's going to be an involved relationship. You are going to be talking to them at least once a week, probably on Slack all the time, which we do with our clients, on emails, et cetera. They are an extension of your company. A lot of times your marketing teams. And you got to really make sure like, yeah, the, I, I, I get it. It's easy to communicate with these people. It sounds like we have a good flow. Now, that might not start off on day one, of course. 
but just like how you meet anyone, like an investor or like someone who's going to be on your team, who's going to be part of your C-suite, you can kind of feel like the good vibes are not. And if they're not there, probably not a good fit. So you can consider elsewhere. So that's the three metrics I recommend people look at for that. So in terms of pricing, what are you going to be looking at? What's something to think about? Our minimums, our very low minimums are now 10,000 bucks a month and they go up from there. If we're doing just content, so we have a content team that gets started at about 6,000 bucks a month. I've seen even freelancers who have been in Silicon Valley for a long time. They even command retainers that are 15K and 20K up a month, seriously. So there's something to be said about paying for the access of relationships that you're going to be benefiting from. That's a lot of what you're you know, paying for here with these. So that's the range that we work with. A minimum of 10,000 bucks a month. We typically are doing things for at least six months and so forth. Another option though that you might want to see is out there. I don't know how many other people do this, but one thing we've piloted that we've now established as something that we do here is something we call BAMX. And that is a short-term project-based 60, maybe 90 days, but usually like 60 days project that we do for some select startups. And that'll be like, okay, for 20,000 bucks, we have this big, strong announcement that we want to come out with. We're going to hit these particular outlets. When we are done, we are done. Like it's just project. It has a definitive stop time. It has a definitive piece of news that it's coming out with. And then we're done. Call us in a year. When you raise more money, you want to do a retainer, something like that. So you might be able to find some folks that do, do project work as well. A lot of the bigger agencies, I don't see that happening so much, but we did it as a response to a lot of our VCs asking for help for some of their startups that just maybe got a seed or just got an A and wanted some better help and navigation. Cool. So our next question is from Vicky Knott, who mm-hmm. is in Calgary, and she is the CEO of Crux OCM, which is an oil and gas automation startup. I will save the story of why we have a Canadian portfolio company for another time. I think he's awesome. <laughs> Two-part question for you. So yeah, I guess oil and gas. Yeah. What is the appetite in the media for that? Because that's a bit of an mm-hmm. interesting one. Oh, yeah. uh, and then, so me, myself, a specific question for you, because I'm an engineer and technical and I'd like to navigate this a little bit better. I'm like a double negative in terms of tech CEO, female and oil and gas tech. Yep. Like, how to navigate that and any thoughts on, is that a plus? Should that be upplayed? Oh, yeah. I'd love to get your yeah. thoughts on that. Sure, sure. Okay. okay, so oil and gas. I mean, we have clients in space, aerodynamic defense, cybersecurity for medical devices, a whole array of stuff. And I can tell you here that we're consistently getting play and coverage in not only trades, but in the, the bigger, broader outlets. So. Just because you're like, oh, I'm in oil and gas, still probably viable. Now, the one thing I would say, or, or maybe just to consider is oil and gas is kind of a, a not so great on the save the planet, maybe mandate. So if your company is, and I don't know anything about your company, but if it's like, yeah, let's get more oil out of the ground, it's like, mm, that might not sit well with some journalists. And of course, I don't know what your company is exactly. So we're, we're a little bit like that okay, there might be some reporters that are a little like, eh, that's maybe not my thing. But I will say, yeah. You also prevent explosions. So, you know. We, we prevent, of- yeah. And we do okay. operationally so that as the assets are deteriorating, you can you can get the value out of the assets without building more assets. So there's, okay. So there's definitely then reason, of course, that you guys are existing and it's for safety and it's for efficiency and it's a lot of things. 
And frankly, we're still going to be, and this is something to consider in your messaging and something in your messaging to media of like, we're still going to be to some level dependent on oil for the next however many centuries, decades, et cetera. Even if we go to full wind, there's different ways to mention that. So long story short, I'd say, yes, there's still an appetite for that, especially in probably your trade publications. And there's been a lot of fluctuation that's been happening in, in oil and gas, as I'm sure you're well aware that I've just been seeing headlines. So you probably definitely have some play there. And then to your other point of like, oh, hey, I'm in an industry. It's mostly, I'm assuming, super male dominated. And you're not usually seeing like female founder in that. That's always great. That's still a, a great thing to tout. Is it the number one thing? Thankfully, I would say no, not anymore, because mm -hmm. we're now seeing way more females, but also a lot of other minorities coming into the picture at different companies and so forth. Females, though, seem to be entering at a pace or at a clip that is a, a bit more down the path than, unfortunately, a lot of our minorities who are out there, of course, but just haven't gotten that the dollars in the door and the VC attention and so forth. But that said, that's still viable for you to use and to mention. Our founder now mix is about 50% females. We're a bunch of female people here. So of course, maybe that has something to do with it. But that's different than 10 years ago. That would be, oh, wow, super rare, super, oh my goodness. That thankfully is changing. So I wouldn't put that as your number one aspect or asset, but it's a feather in your cap to mention and use. So our next question is from Uri Baruchin, who is London-based. He's part of our advisory team. He's a branding strategist. Great. Worked, worked with a lot of the top top names around the world, actually. Uh, Hi, Beck. Hey. You were giving a lot of useful tips for kind of like how to approach media and on site yeah. to do homebrew PR. And I was listening very attentively because I, I have my own kind of like creative business that I would like to get attention for. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I wonder is like, I think in some areas of marketing, it's very easy to um, point out the tipping point where you kind of go, oh, I can't do that. That's well beyond my skill set, and I need professionals. However, with PR, especially if I have tried the homebrew version and I have a couple of relationships with a couple of journalists and sometimes they even answer my emails and things like that, when, how would I know that the, the time has come for me to kind of like go out on this yeah. process that isn't very simple of identifying the right Not. professional PR company and hire them. And I would add a sub question on that, that I guess one of the biggest fears was startups. And I know that from startups who approach other types of agencies is how do I know that I'm not just this tiny client that they don't bring is going to take care of? Yes. Good question. So let me answer that one first. So this is quite common. A startup will come to, let's say, an agency and just be like, but are we just going to be given to your junior person here that has like two years of experience and like we're way down on the roster of priority? Because the real reality is that an agency, the agency should, if they're being successful, have a lot of clients. And then you want to know further, and this is kind of an advanced level, you want to be able to answer specifically, well, how many clients is my team on, let's say, what's the bandwidth that they have? What's the average price of the clients that you have at this agency? Where does that put us? So if we're paying $15,000 a month for some agencies, like now these are like the really bigger ones, 
That's nothing. That's like little stuff over there. Another question, what's the makeup of the team attention, the team hours that are going to be dedicated to my account? Because for example, you might be pitched in the beginning with there's like three VPs with all this experience, but then you start your campaign. You're like, oh, wait a second, this junior person, not that there's anything wrong with the junior person, but they just don't have the expertise is doing 85% of my work. Hmm. That's not what I thought I was getting. So these are the type of questions that you want to be asking. Who's on my team? How many other clients do they have? Where is the average retainer for this agency? Where does that position us? Those are just a, a sample of those questions. Then to your point about, oh, what, what's the crossing point? So typically what happens is there's only so much time, and I'm talking to all the founders here, there's only so much time that you have to dedicate to, I mean, any priority, but to something like developing relationships over the long haul with media. It's just a finite asset, as we all know. So when you get to that point, we're like, okay, we really need some coverage. We're really at a point where we know our market. We know we have these great clients. We have stuff to talk about. We have stuff that's distinct in the marketplace. I do not have the bandwidth to pursue further media relationships. Maybe, for example, you got five that you've been talking to on a consistent basis using our own little DIY technique. That's great. But you're like, I need to be in 50 outlets, let's say, by the end of two years because I'm going for my next race. When you're looking at the volume and you're also considering like quality, that's a lot of times of like, okay, I need to bring in the pros who can have a team that's using all of their relationships all at the same time to get as much coverage as possible for my company. So basically, it's kind of like, are you ready to turbocharge the outreach and the coverage that you can get just by yourself? That's a moment. Now, I'm speaking specifically only, by the way, of like media relations and trying to get media coverage. A lot of times agencies are brought in for various other reasons. We're doing messaging. We're doing internal comms. We're doing stuff that's being sent out to the VCs. We're doing social media strategy. So there's all these other functions that you just can't like, let me just pick that right up and like start doing that. It's like, okay. So there's a lot of expertise that comes with this, but if we're talking specifically just in media relations. So if it's like, hey, I, I now need to see or I want to see a lot more coverage coming, that's a lot of times when you want to consider an agency or you know a freelancer or a small shop that can just take that off your plate, frankly. Cool, thank you. Um, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression and think that we only invest in female founders. I want male founders to feel comfortable approaching us. Oh, but yeah. our next question is from Netta Medav, who's the CEO of Vault, also a portfolio company based in London. Uh, she is totally awesome as well. Hi, Netta. Hi. Hi. Oh my God. I have so many questions. I'm, I'm oh, good, good, good. Trying to like, no, no, no. I'm going to try to kind of try to find a theme here and focus. I can go for a few more minutes here too. <laughs> I run a company that is actually very sensitive to the news. And uh, let's just say that we always see a lot of activity in the top of the, our funnel that is driven by the news. And the reason is that Vault uh, is a misconduct reporting platform to speak a platform mm. for, like discrimination and harassment and racism as well as fraud mm. and other issues. It's sad to say, but Black Lives Matter has actually done really good for our business. And by the way, we are using a PR agency. And what I found is we're getting good placements in trade magazines, but where we really need to be is in the news because it's those kind of big events that are writing and rewriting the business case of why companies should have vault in place. My question to you, it's kind of two parts of two, two parts of a question are around newsjacking. So yes, a lot of times I see 
an article um, uh, or a piece in, in the news. And I, and I want to pull out my hair because we should yeah. have been commenting on this. How to get there, how to get to those top tier publications and how to get there. And, and if you have like top five tips for news jacking and whether it should come from the agency, whether it come from myself as a founder building those relationships. <laughs> to get a bit more specific, I have a question about the proximity of reporting. So let me give you an example. Two weeks mm-hmm. ago in CNN, talking about Adidas employees calling uh, for action. You've, you've seen that, calling for action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, their first demand was, we want a better reporting platform for racism in the workplace. How do I approach this kind of reporter? Will she have the appetite to talk about this again in such close proximity? Mm, uh, I see. So, you, yeah. so newsjacking, just for everybody who's like, what, what's that? Newsjacking is when something's happening in a high velocity in the media, in the, in the news cycle. And a lot of articles are getting written about that topic. Obviously, this Black Lives Matter movement has been, I mean, well, 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 well covered, still being covered, all this great stuff, because it's so dominant, it's so huge. And there's a lot of times where things will happen specific to your industry, by the way, that will have this kind of accelerated media moment. The thing with newsjacking, though, is because the news cycles are so fast, 48 hours, 72 hours later, it can kind of be dead-ish in a while. So the big trick with media newsjacking is you got to be so on top of it. So Netta, since you have an agency, the bottom line expectation that you should have is that they should be proactively sending you as this comes in saying, oh, hey, we see this. Hey, we got this. Hey, this is happening. We're on it. We know what's happening here. We're going to newsjack this. So proactively, your agency, if you're working with one, should be spotting and identifying this stuff to you. Another thing that we do for all of our clients is every week, and sometimes we do it three times a week, depending on the level of the client and what they need, is a news digest. And it's kind of like the skin, but curated just for you and your industry. And we'll say, okay, here's what competitors are doing. Here's new reporters in your space. Here's some other article that we're seeing. We're monitoring because it hasn't blown up yet, but it might blow up and kind of be a newsjacking thing. So we're constantly consuming that and then teeing it up to you so you have an idea and seeing what's out there, which is really important. So the second thing to this is, okay, one, that agency should definitely be proactively positioning that to you. That is not your job. If you got an agency, that's what they should be doing. And then secondly, there should be some apparatus or something in place that there's a constant touch point and like a deliverable from them that they're delivering that to you. So for us, it could be weekly or it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing, depending on what we set up for our clients. So there's that. And then as it relates to this question with like the proximity, so like you see an article hit and you're like, oh, should I hit up that reporter and say within the next couple of hours, like, hey, do you want to mention this or something? Yes. However, sometimes that could just be their one-time thing, but you don't know necessarily. And if you have something that's so significantly attached to it or kind of a, a big secondary thing that they can consider, it might go somewhere you can maybe do something. So often we don't see any success with, oh, this piece of news coverage came out and, oh, don't you want to add something in or do a secondary little thing? Like, no, 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 no. It has to be its own distinct standalone thing. So Netta, my advice for you would be like, oh, hey, reporter, saw your article on the Adidas controversy or demands of what this company clearly needs. Hey, just so you know, I'm a founder of Vault and this is what we do. I'm seeing this needed in a lot of other companies. Happy to be a resource for you. Let me know if you want to just chat about what we're also seeing in the industry. So then in that sense, you're not like, hey, do a story on me, do a story on me. But you're coming with that like, I'm an asset. I could be a resource. I have data that I can maybe point you to or look at. 
And that reporter might go, oh, let me talk to that founder because they, they might know some things I don't know yet. And for my next story, I'm going to make sure I call Netta. Does that make sense, Netta? Hopefully. I know you had a lot of things in there. Hot will schedule a mini, but yes. Yes, perfect. We can chat more. Perfect. So our next question is from Chris Daniels. Hi. Um, so Chris Daniels, I'm from a company called Flarebright. We've developed an autonomous nano drone really for oh, the defense sector. Great. It's really cool. We got some drone clients. Yep. Cool. Uh, the question is really about, is, is twofold. So it's the mm. purpose of media because my, yes. I'm selling into government defense. So I've, I've sort of, I know who I'm selling to. Yes. So, is the purpose of media just a validation, a sort of third-party validation? Mm -hmm. And the second question is more specific. We've just um, got a, a six-figure contract from the UK that we will be allowed to announce from oh, mid-August onwards. But my view is, well, why would I announce in mid-August when everyone's on holiday, and particularly at the moment, because nobody's mm -hmm. really taken holiday in Europe yeah. all <laughs> this year. Yeah. Everyone's going to be off. Is it better just to hold it off till September and do you get more bang for that? Or is it easier to get in in August? And what, what are your thoughts on both of those things? Yes. So with a piece of news, let's talk about that last question first. The, a piece of news where mm, it, you're in control, you're in complete control. You're not a publicly traded company where it has to legally be announced or anything. You can then be much more in control of where and how you wish to see it come out. So in your case, Chris, yeah, I would take your time. If your customer, if that client is like, yeah, we're fine with mid-September, great, wait till mid-September. As long as, if it's a government, there's no public announcement that they have to make or that it will be disclosed in some way, shape, or form, which will then basically deflate the air of this news moment for you. So if that's, that's the case, then great. This often happens, by the way, with venture deals where oh, a company gets 20 million bucks, but then it's filed with the SEC and media scoop that. And so if they see it filed, then when you're trying to pitch them two and a half months later saying, oh, we got our deal done and funding, they're like, well, wait a second, I already saw it over there. Or oh, there was an article done on that and it was kind of scooped. It's like, eh, then you really have no story. So if you were in full control, Chris, absolutely, I would totally pursue that and just time it when you feel that timing is right. Now, back to your other question of like, the philosophical question of just, you know, why, why media attention? Is my buyer actually going to be influenced by any of those? I can tell you, this is just from our experience. We do have a couple of clients that are dealing with the DOD. We have space companies. They deal with like Saudi Arabia, things like that. In a lot of these situations, it's a credibility validation thing and play. It's not a, oh my gosh, someone's going to read that article and actually call me up from it. Although that does happen. We have a lot of cases like that. It's more so that when you walk into that pitch or when they're on your website or they're looking at that slide and you're like, oh, yeah, as featured in BBC and Bloomberg and CNBC and Wall Street Journal, it gives you some cred, especially for startups that are not the big gorilla in the room yet because it's a startup and you just have only a certain amount of people and you're fighting the David and Goliath type of war. And you're like, well, you know, what's going to make me stand out? A lot of times it can be good credibility with media. And that's, of course, not the only credibility that you need to build, but it is a good anchor. So that's a lot of times when we have, at least from our clients that come to us, they're like, hey, yeah, I sell to a very distinct, I say I sell to CROs, chief revenue officers, very pointed, but yet they are influenced and they like to see the credibility and the validation of us being mentioned in those third-party outlets. 
Beck, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Very interesting. And thank you everyone for joining. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, man. Thanks, Gil. Bye-bye.